Um, and I think if you've got a, anybody who's got a determination to achieve anything in the world, they can do it. Um, and I don't want this to sound like a lecture, but if I look back over my, the last sort of 20 to 30 years of my life and say, well, you know, um, how did I achieve this? The actual answer, Petra, is actually, I don't know. I just knew somehow I just made a plan. Um, I've always uh, my life. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's my wife, my children, and then very soon after that, very, very soon after that comes flying in terms of okay. the levels of priority. Today I'm talking to Brad Mears, who is a commercial pilot in South Africa. Good morning, Brad. It's so lovely to meet you here on Zoom. Hi, good morning, Petra. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. And um, you are based in South Africa. Yes, I'm based in Cape Town in South Africa. Wonderful city, beautiful city. And it's it's spring where it is uh, for you there. Yeah, I know. The weather, the weather has broken. It's lovely uh, spring weather. Um, but we're also entering into the dry season. So it's, uh, it's going to be dry and hot. Mm. But now, Brad, um, I'm intrigued. Uh, I saw a LinkedIn uh, post. Uh, where you uh, have your, you, you've acquired your commercial uh, pilot license. And um, I would love to know your story. Where did this love for flying start? So I think every person on this planet has got that first and earliest uh, memory of when they were a child of something that they were passionate about. And I remember my father bought me a, an aluminium uh, biplane, little model biplane um, that was, if I remember correctly, was a, was a Boeing Stearman. And if you know anything about flying, Boeing Stearmans are classic 1930s aircraft. And my father bought this for me as a toy. And uh, ever since then, I've had a passion for, for flying. Um, the problem with many parts or many types of flying is that they are expensive. Um, and uh, I don't come from a, a wealthy background, and, and there were many times when I thought that I'd never become a pilot. Um, I certainly never thought that I'd become a commercial pilot. Um, there were times when I was uh, kind of living on the bones of my backside in a way, and then when you think about your dream, you think, well, it's just unreachable. Um, but, uh, you know, I was, always had flying books in my, in my room when I was uh, a young boy, um, I'd always want to go down to the airport and watch airplanes, and I was a passionate attender of, of, of air shows, um, but still never thought that I'd have the, the financial means to be where I am now. Um, when I was at university, I started paragliding, um, and uh, that was a very sort of uh, very economical way of being able to get into flying. It wasn't expensive. Um, it was... Paragliding was just opening up at that stage. It was uh, certainly a sport for the for the for the brave-hearted at that time. Um, and that's funny enough what actually brought me to Austria because um, when I finished my studies, I came to Austria to come and ski and um, also paraglide. So I, I, I learned how to um, do um, f flying in the snow. Um, in Westendorf in Austria, um, just, yeah. outside, just outside uh, St. Johann. Uh, so that's where I learned how to fly internationally, if you want to call it that. And then, um, and then I carried on and uh, I went on from there. I went and uh, started flying fixed wing gliders. 
um, which is also a very economical way. So if anybody's, you know, really struggling to scrape the pennies together and they will still want to fly, paragliding and, and gliding are the sort of the cheapest and possibly the safest way of getting into, into flying. Then one day a, a friend of mine phoned me up and he said, listen, Brad, I've just qualified as a, a microlight pilot. Come and do your microlight pilot's license. And it was, it was just the first kind of proper paying job that I had. And my friend Steve said to me, come and learn how to fly microlights. So off I went. And I what, age, what age were you then? I must have been mid-20s, I suppose. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, um, and uh, uh, I went and learned how to fly microlights. And those are the ones that, were the, that looked like a hang glider but with an engine on it. Yeah, yeah. And, um, I just started dating my, my wife at that stage. And when I qualified as a microlight pilot's license, what's the first thing that you do? You take your girlfriend, fiance, wife, you take yeah. them flying. And uh, I took Christy flying, and she was absolutely petrified. We landed, <laughs> we landed on the ground, and she said, she said, Brad, you've got two choices. You can, you can carry on flying microlights, but I will divorce you, or you, <laughs> or you go and get your proper pilot's license. So I said, that's fine. And that was my license for me to then go and get my PPL. Oh, okay. And uh, by that stage, I was fortunately I was in a fairly well-paying job, um, and I managed to you know afford my PPL. And then it was a case of just being able to scrape together all the things that were required for a commercial pilot's license. So uh, I did my night rating. I did enough instrument hours to qualify for commercial pilot's license. Um, I then accumulated enough hours to get my com license, um, and uh, then it, you know then COVID came, and uh, you know there's a an interesting story to be told around the exams that I had to write because really? what happened was you've got I'm, I mean you're not looking at the most intelligent person in the world, okay? And these exams were petrifying for me to try and pass. And there were eight exams. I think I made, I counted it up and there were 24 attempts to write eight exams. I eventually passed all eight exams. And, um, you know, maybe people in Austria won't, won't know this, but at the end of COVID, in the middle of last year, there were the, the riots that broke out in KwaZulu-Natal. I don't mm. know if you would have, that that would have been something that you guys would have known about. No, but there, was, there were some very um, violent riots that broke out in KwaZulu-Natal. And um, I was literally writing my last exam on the day that the riots were happening. And uh, at that stage, I was living in, in, in north of Durban. And my wife was coming to me and she was saying, Brad, are you sure this exam is going to happen? You know, they're busy burning down buildings. Is it safe for you to go? And um, I said, they have these, I was determined that the, I was going to go and write these exams or the last exam. And Petra, if I didn't pass that last exam, um, because of the time period within which you needed to pass all the exams, if I didn't pass that last exam, all my exams would have fallen away and I would have had to have started all over again. So um, it was real, the, the pressure was really, really on for me to pass that last exam. Yeah. Anyway, so I had to drive through barricades and police and all that type of stuff to get to him longer to write the exam and um, managed to pass the exam. And it was the biggest relief of my life when I'd got Amazing. all the exams out there. When did you, 
So when did they, you get the result um, after in, the exam? End of July. End of July last year, I got the results. Amazing. And, um, it was with a huge sigh of relief that I managed to pass all these exams. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, the the economy is such, Petra, that there, there wasn't any work for me in, um, in KwaZulu-Natal. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I had to find work. And uh, I eventually found a job in Cape Town. Uh, my mm -hmm. wife uh, took a transfer with one of the banks. We are now very happily established in Cape Town. And um, that's where I managed to do the, the final couple of qualifications to become a commercial pilot. Um, I had to pass one more exam and uh, pass um, and get what they call a complex rating, which is means you, you're flying a slightly more complicated aircraft than the one that I was flying. And then went for the test. And, um, you know, there's that kind of uh, feeling of, uh, I don't know, almost when you're coming into the presence of God type of thing, you know, when, you know, you have that feeling of, um, uh, what, how can I describe it? It's like a, you get a, a goose flesh when you, mm. you've just landed that plane and you've just realized that you've achieved something that's taken the better part of 20 years to achieve. Amazing. Um, yeah. So I kind of get a bit uh, tearful when I talk about it, but, uh, um, and when I talk to people that I, when I told them what I'd done, um, some one of my friends phoned me and she was crying. She said, I can't really? believe it. She, she said, Brad, I got a lump in my throat and I'm, I burst into tears when you told me. So, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So, that, mean, that is, this, a, that is yeah, the summary is, of my story. This is determination like I've never heard before. I mean, honestly, for you to go through all this and, and really to start um, from not not even in a plane i mean you just wanted to fly you just wanted to do that um that's amazing and the determination to do it but you you're talking about the cost it is uh, um if you do it privately um there's a very high cost involved because it's a lot of hours that that you have to fly and how did you manage that um to get from your ppl to to the commercial side of things so, you know, Petra, um, uh, flying is flying, anything with an engine on it and flying is expensive. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that, you know, I think if there's a, a message that, you know, I'd like to convey to your audience that might watch this, uh, for me, it, you know, there were very, there were often times when I was quite downhearted. There were times when I thought that I would never pass the exams. There were times when I thought that I would never have the money um, to, to get it. But I think that if, if you've got, um, and I don't want this to sound too religious, but I think if you've got goodness in, in your heart and you've got good intentions, um, I think if you pay it out to the universe, I do believe that. I think that it comes back at you. Um, and I think if you've got a, anybody who's got a determination to achieve anything in the world, they can do it. Um, and I don't want this to sound like a lecture, but if I had to look back over my, the last sort of 20 to 30 years of my life and say, well, you know, um, how did I achieve this? The actual answer, Petra, is actually, I don't know. I just, yeah. somehow, I just made a plan. Um, I all, I've always, uh, my life, uh, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's my wife, my children, and then very soon after that, very, very soon after that comes flying in terms of okay. the levels of priority. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, if, if it's, if it's, you know, I think that there, there must be many people out there that think that their dreams mm -hmm. are just so, so far away. Um, 
But the message that I want to send them is to say never ever fall into the trap of of not of of uh, believing that you won't achieve your dreams. If you mm-hmm. if you really believe in something, you can achieve it. Um, but I think also it's that thing where we think. Oh, I'm too old, you know, or oh, this is it's something that you have to acquire when you are still young. And, and by the time you're 30, you have to be already in this position. But isn't it interesting also that I heard the other day somebody said that um, the older we get, the more um, other experiences we have, you know, life experiences that makes whatever we do later in life also um different you know that that you bring with that qualification you bring also this whole life experience and do you think this is also this this um the fact that you had to work so hard and that you really had to find ways to get to that point that this brings with it something that is um part of the commercial pilot that you are now uh, you know, I think that you need a certain amount of resilience. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I, I agree with you. I think that there needs to be a balance. I think that when you, you, you know, you, if you, if you bring all the, t- the, the totality of the life experiences together, um, you know, what does that, ma- I think it makes me a, a person of value. Um, it does make you feel good about yourself, but it also, you know, I think that, uh, and, and to be honest with you, I think there have been very, very often there have been times in my life where I've thought I'm not of any value to the world, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but now you're in a totally different place and you think, oh, hang on, I'm of value to the world. Um, the fact that you're talking to me right now mm-hmm. is perhaps an indication of that. Um, but that, you know, that every person has got enormous amounts of value to add to the world. They just need to believe it. And I think yeah. that, um, and I think that there's, there's so much self-doubt. There are so many um, uh, barricades that get put up to stop people achieving the things that they want wanting to achieve. And you've got to decide whether those are real barricades or false ones. Um, and the false ones you can ignore and the real ones you make a plan and you get around them. Um, yeah. And I think that, yeah, so there is a kind of what you're saying is there is a kind of coming together of um, where things all the kind of dots kind of get connected. Who would have thought that if you told me 30 years ago, Brad, you're going to qualify as a commercial pilot, I would have never believed you. Okay. Um, and so, you know, I, my advice to people is that if they've really got a big dream, the way to achieve that big dream is to take small little bite-sized chunks out of that out of that process on getting to that big dream that they want you to achieve. Um, and um, I think that... Um, uh, you know, once I, I had a, um, a coach, and this is another piece of advice that I can give to people. If you're wanting to achieve something, to do it on your own can be very, very lonely. Um, so garner all the people around you that are going to support you. I would have never achieved this if it wasn't for the support of my wife. She's gone through thick and thin with me on this whole thing. Come home, I've come home from exams, I've failed, and I'm sitting, chucking this thing in, I'm giving it up. It's a waste of time. She says, no, you're not. You're carrying on. You're committed to this. You're going to carry on. Um, and uh, I had a coach, and he said to me, Brad, there are, there are two types of people that, that are in your life that will um, try and stop you from, watching, from what you're wanting to achieve. Um, and you would know this, uh, Petra, from coming from South Africa. There, 
There are guys called border buddies, and those are the guys that want to stop you from watching what you want to do because they care for you. Those are your border buddies. And then you get your border bullies, and those are the guys that want to stop you from wanting, what you want to do because they are, I don't know, they don't want to see you succeed. Yeah. And you've got to separate those two groups of people out. Mm-hmm. And so when, you, when you've broken through that, um, first of all, there's a huge amount of relief that you managed to achieve something. But um, it just shows you, you know, Petra, it's less about the pieces of paper and the qualifications and the skill. That's one thing. That's what's going to keep the aeroplane flying. But it's, it says something about your character um, when you've achieved something like this. And um, yeah. uh, I'm not giving myself any accolades. I'm actually discovering parts of my character that I never knew existed. Mm-hmm. I, I never, um, I, you know, I, I would often be criticized when I was a young boy that I would give up too easily on things. Well, um, I don't think that I can be accused of that right now. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> this is such a great inspirational story, really. I'm, I'm, I at points got goosebumps when when you talked about certain things and you know that and, and your determination and, of course, um, uh, this is always the thing that we we uh, we have to hear. You know, we have to hear the unconventional stories, the ones that didn't follow the the normal route you know to to get where you want to be and uh i i really admire you for that so thanks petra but i, I mean just to that point um you know we one of the things that stops people from achieving things is convention yeah i mean who's who says that you can't become a commercial pilot at the age of 54 who says mm-hmm. that you can't become a commercial pilot at the age of 64 or 74 if you are healthy enough, you're good enough to fly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, uh, you know, people will throw rocks in your way uh, because of their own sense of inadequacy, their own sense of, of um, lack of purpose. They don't, especially, you know, I think there are instances where people, because of their own failings in life, don't like to see others succeeding. Um, and I, I really think that, um, um, you know, I would really appeal to people to chuck away convention and, yeah. you know, because it's convention that actually gets in your way. So if there's a, a 50-year-old or 60-year-old that's considering doing something quite audacious, I would say, you know, I would say to that person, you've got less road in front of you than what you've got behind you. And that's, yeah. both, that's a good thing because you've got experience on your side. Um, and the other thing is that you've got, but you haven't got a lot of time on your side, so you've got no excuse not to do something. You've got to go and do those things that you want to go and do. Because what I've realized is that your time on this planet is so short yeah. that for you to say, yeah, I could have done this or I could have done that, um, but I didn't, I think is actually, um, is actually a tragedy. And I think, that, I think that there's so much wasted potential because of convention. Can you imagine the amount of amount of potential that we could unlock on this planet if we could just throw convention out of the window? And you look at you, know, uh, you look at people that are exceptionally ex- successful. They are by definition they are unconventional. I mean, I don't consider myself a success. I mean, okay, I've achieved a measure of success in life. But if you took someone like 
Elon Musk or, Joe, uh, or, or, um, or Bezos. Those guys have really thrown convention out the window and said, we're not going to do it like this. We're going to do it totally differently. And look what they've achieved. Um, yeah. And if you look at where the planet is, we really are in a corner environmentally, economically, uh, socially and politically. We really are living with very old, archaic institutions in our society. Yeah. Um, and we need, uh, this is an appeal to young people, is to put up their hand and say, well, we're not going to live with the way previous generations have done things. That might have been the convention up until now, but we are going to do things differently. Because if we don't, you know, Patrick, if we don't encourage that unconventional thinking, um, I, I fear that the, I know this sounds like really sort of existential stuff, but I really fear for the future of the planet. Because I think it was Einstein that said, you know, if we're going to use old logic in solving the problems that, we, that have been created for us, we're never going to solve those problems. Yeah. We've got to use new logic. And so I would really encourage people to be, um, to be audacious, to throw mm-hmm. convention out the window, maybe give the middle finger, because, and I, I would certainly say to people, um, don't ask for permission, because you're not going to get it. Ask for forgiveness. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great way of saying it. But I, it's it's such a coincidence. Well, there's no such thing as coincidence. But just yesterday, I, I did an interview with her, with a young conductor who had a total unconventional um, path. Uh, didn't do all the the competitions and and all the, the you know only started really playing uh, when he was sixteen uh, piano and. But now he's assistant director at uh, assistant conductor at the Royal Ballet, and you would think this. And this now I'm talking to you, and it's also this unconventional story, and I love it. I love that it's uh, that I can that you can hear the success of people who've who's done it that way. So yeah, I I love this. I want to go back to something that you you might have referred to tangentially earlier. Is that you know, the kind of, as you, the, the, the kind of natural maturation process of humans is such that, you know, you literally, your body is changing chemically. So you behave and you think differently as you mature because literally the chemicals flowing around your body are different. Um, uh, and, and that's a good thing because you've got that experience behind you. You make, you make decisions less um, rapidly. You think about things more deeply. You're less mm-hmm. impetuous about them. Um, the bad thing is, of course, is as you get older, you've got less energy, right? But the thing that I'd really encourage people to do, it doesn't matter how old you are, is never, ever let go of the child inside of you. Um, you know, people say, oh, you're being immature. Well, that's, I don't care. I'm going to be the way I want to be. Um, if I want to make silly, corny jokes, I'm going to make silly, corny jokes. That's who I am. But never, never let that child go in you because it's that child in you, that it's that child and that conductor that you interviewed that got him to where he was being. If he had been the pure adult, he probably wouldn't have become a conductor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it doesn't matter how old the physical frame is, there's always some uh, some uh, childish element of you that that is actually good. It's not it's not it's not a criticism. It's actually a good part of you, and that's the part mm-hmm. that you can go back to, the part that you can fantasize and go and dream about things. Those are the things that we, you know, we, we live in such a hard world, Petra, um, mm. where we are constantly, constantly reminded about, you know, the, the, both the big and the small things that are ominous, you know, 
the failing economy, the war in the Ukraine, um, you know, all those things that we take on and it gets us to forget about our child and our childhood. Yeah. And um, that is something that we should not do because um, it's, it's, I think it's, you know, you talk about creativity and the artist. Well, if, if I think an artist by definition is someone that is very in touch with their child, their, their childish side, that's the creativity side, um, that gets the brain and the chemicals to work in the way that they do, is that they're connecting with their child, their, their child portion of their, of their character. Mm -hmm. I agree, and I think it's you. You need a, a sense of na uh, uh, naivety. You know, yeah. you have to be a bit naive to to be able to have these dreams and have these um, um, aspirations. And I think that's wonderful. I think, uh, and that's part of that child. You know, being that child, that inner child that you're talking about. Absolutely, absolutely, mm. and I think that um, you know when when we get into the world of work, you know, there's a certain conventional way in which you expect it to behave, mm. um, and you know, you wonder why um, uh, you wonder why we are as as a planet, we are in the in the corner that we're in, is because mm. of that that lack of naivety, that so-called lack of naivety, where people have said, well. Yeah. You can't do it like this because it's been tried and, and, and it's failed before. And yeah. I'll, give you, I'll give you an example, Petra. I mean, I, you know, I, I sit in an office here. I'm a, I'm a regional director for, for, for Sanka here in the Western mm -hmm. Cape. So I deal with drugs and alcohol every day of my life. So it's a very, excuse the poor term, of, poor term that I'm going to use, but it's a very sobering experience to work oh, at Sanka. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> because you really see, you really see the... The very negative end of our society, okay, mm. a very stigmatized part of our society. Um, and I sat in the staff meeting with my staff this morning, and we were discussing what we were going to do for the year in function. And they said, "Are we going to do a lunch?" And I said, "No, we're not going to do a lunch. We're not going to do it like this. We're going to do yeah. it like this. We're going to do it entirely differently to the way it's been done in the past." And the frowns and the scowls on people's faces that I got looking at back at me, thinking, "Are you crazy? We've never done it like this before." But that's exactly why you do it like that, is because yeah. you've got to start breaking down the conventions. And I think that wouldn't it be great if we could, if we could teach our children right from the get-go, when they go to uh, nursery school and primary school, that being unconventional is actually a good thing. It's something yeah. that we're encouraging in the education of our children because mm – -hmm. We have become so regimented and so structured in our society that the abilities to break out, the barriers to entry, uh, to break out of the convention are so high now that mm -hmm. it's little wonder that people are taking drugs. It's little wonder that yeah. you've got the levels of alcoholism that you've got. It's little wonder that people commit suicide because mm -hmm. they feel totally constrained in the, in, the, in, the, uh, in the society and the role that they've got to fulfill in society. So, I agree with you. Yeah. yeah. And I think I think this is also something where we have to look at the education system and uh, think, you know, I I strongly believe that there are many children who would absolutely benefit by being exposed to different forms of art for them to express themselves in different ways. I mean, you are talking you you also uh, doing photography and you know that there's um there's so many different 
ways of doing it and uh you know it doesn't have to be music it can be um dancing it can be all all different things and but we give children this opportunity because i think our education education system is also very much based on this old um way of doing it you know and and uh, this conventional way of doing it well you see and i think the reason for that picture is because the education system has been a way of of exercising power and control mm-hmm. so we know that if we teach our children to be this and there's a very strong clear delineation between right and wrong black and white yeah and if we know exactly what what the world is according to how we are taught to be that is going to be the way the world is and i think that that unfortunately that isn't how you humans are not robots um, yeah humans are i remember i had a uh, in the many years ago i used to be the ceo of an organization and one of my directors was in a meeting with me and the meeting was an absolute mess and he could see me getting anxious and getting upset because this meeting was a mess and he he leaned over to me and he whispered in my ear um and he said uh, brad he said just relax man he said humans are messy creatures and i think <laughs> we need to accept that humans are messy creatures we're not, yeah. we're, not we're not driven by uh, instinct as as much yeah. as animals are and but we do, we do have a high level of intellect and that if an intellect is is stifled by stifling creativity that's why we end up with the problems that we've got in our society mm-hmm. so i mean we we i know we've kind of gone from talking about you know how I've walked this path of becoming a commercial pilot but isn't that in itself a a story of creativity yeah you know when when you're going down a certain road and you blocked you know I tried to get into the air force I was too tall for the air force and I certainly didn't have the, the academic results to qualify me for the air force mm-hmm. um so I, that I had to give up that one I tried to apply to SAA to become a commercial pilot and they turned me down and so you know creativity yeah. is about um trying and failing at things and and not being thrown off the scent by failure and i think that you know we we really need to encourage our children to try and fail you know yeah. and fail and fail magnanimously not small failures we need people to make big failures in our in our society and you know what we need to do we need to actually congratulate them and give them accolades for failing you know yeah. um is that try you know the, this the, and it's it's amazing you know the, the the first commercial pilot exam that i wrote i went away and wrote this exam and uh, i think i walked away with something like 15% as my first result mm-hmm. and the pass mark is 75 petra i thought oh my god mm-hmm. i'm going to pass this and i went yeah. home and I was in a black cloudy mood and my wife said what's wrong with you and i said I failed my first exam And she said, "All right, well, you obviously not doing the right thing. Try again." And mm-hmm. so it was just a case of trying and trying and trying, mm-hmm. um, and 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 experimenting with different things. And I had to hustle. I, I didn't always have the money to to go and pay for the exams. So mm-hmm. that is a form of creativity. Um, yeah. And I think we really need to inculcate into our children the spirit of of failure mm-hmm. being a good thing, not a bad thing. Yeah. Well, if we talk about aviation and you just um read the story of of the Wright brothers and how they started and how they got that plane in the air, 
you know, it's it was a lot of failures, a lot of things that they had to just uh, rethink and start again. So I think, um, yeah, you're absolutely yeah. right. It's about Thank it's you. about failing. Yeah, it is. And you know, if you look at what the Wright brothers were, they were they, so they were two brothers. They owned a bicycle store. Yeah, they owned a bicycle store for God's sake. They weren't they weren't aerodynamists. They weren't they weren't scientists. They were guys that were um, uh, that were competing to, to to build the first aircraft at the same time as them. That had much more money than what they had. So the Wright brothers actually had every reason to not be successful. But what were they? They were successful. And why was it? Because they worked their asses off. They had their hearts in the right place, um, and they tried and tried and tried. And yeah. I think I don't know if it was Orville. I don't know if it was Wilbur. But one of them died in, a, in an air crash a couple of years after the first flight. And he, yeah. was, on, he was on his deathbed. Um, and he said, he said, you know, to, you, you will not get anywhere in life if you sit on the fence. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, unfortunately, in our world, we have, we have created a world of ambivalence, a mm -hmm. world of mediocrity, because it's safe. No one yeah. needs to... You know, you know, if you step out of line, no one's going to criticize you, you know, if you don't step out of line. Mm. So we, we need less fence sitters and we need more yeah. people to put up their hand and say, well, this is not acceptable. I want to do it like this. Um, we need more brads in this world. No, no you don't need more brads. No, I think, I think, I think my wife will say, no, no, there's, there's, enough, <laughs> there's enough of brads. But I think, you know what, I mean, it's, it's actually not about me, Petra. It's about... Yeah. You know, every you and every other single, there's 7 billion of us on this planet. Could you mm -hmm. imagine if we could tap into the creative spirit of, of 7 billion people? Yeah. And, and it's, you know, creativity is not linked to your wealth or your education or anything like that. Your, your spirit of creativity, you could be living in the wrong end of Ethiopia and you could, you could be a, a creative soul. Um, yeah. And, and, but, but for people to, but it's not just about that person. It's about the next person that's sitting next to that person to say, well done, fantastic. Yeah. What you're doing is the right thing. But what we tend to do is we tend to laugh at people that try. We tend yeah. to um, try and humiliate people that are stepping out of the, the, um, the orthodox way of doing things. Mm -hmm. um, and why? Because hey, they're just being stupid. Um, and I think that that, that that culture needs to end. And I wish yeah. that we could talk to our powers that be. But remember, they're in power because why? Because they've, they've gone the orthodox route, you know, and they, yeah. they, their power base will be threatened if people are uh, unorthodox in their, in their okay. views. Yeah. 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 Anyway. No, you're absolutely right. But now, Brad, you've, you've achieved so much already. And, um, but what is the dream now? Now you're a commercial pilot. What is the dream? So, I mean, there's there's stuff that you know what, Petra. There's stuff that I'm not even going to talk to you about. Yeah. Because you know what they say. Hey, they say the minute that you talk about things, your brain mm. believes that you've done it. Okay. Yeah. Therefore, you don't do it because your brain okay. is not, your brain is now locked into that comfort zone on thinking that is now achieved what you've said you're going to achieve and therefore mm -hmm. you don't do it so petra i do i, I am driven 
I do have um, some some ambitions. Um, next year, I am going to. Uh, I've already registered for it, so I'm going to start my masters in space mm. studies. Um, what? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Yeah. So there, there's a master's course you can do on space, and yeah. um, my my wife will tell you that I have a an unhealthy uh, uh, obsession with following Elon Musk and SpaceX and everything that's happening in the space industry. Oh, okay. So yeah, absolutely. I'm very passionate about space. Okay, so the sky is not the limit for you. Space no, is no, absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> um, and I think specifically, I think specifically, Petra, I think that um, the space industry could be a total game changer for the fortunes of Africa. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think that um, communications and access to education, access to information. Um, uh, yeah, so I think that Africa has got a huge amount to benefit from um, the technology that emerges out of out of out of the space mm. industry. Uh, and just to give you an indication of one thing, uh, you know, SpaceX is now they've they've started the the, the Starlink initiative, uh, which is providing um, internet access around the world um, universally via laser. Okay, so satellites will talk to you mm -hmm. via laser. Um, and um, T-Mobile, which is a cell phone company in America, has just secured a contract with uh, the Starlink company to provide cell phone communications via the Starlink satellites. Amazing. So, so the reason why I'm sharing that with you is it just shows you where the trajectory is going to in terms of how totally revolutionary new te space technology is going to be in the next 20 years. I think that yeah. when you and I chat in 20 years' time, which I hope we will, um, yeah. um, when we chat in 20 years' time, um, I think that uh, we, we won't recognize technology as it, as it is now. Mm -hmm. It'll be totally different. And well, I, I want to be part yeah. of that. I hope I can I can then have a Zoom interview with you. Well, I don't know if we will still call it Zoom, but maybe you are on some satellite somewhere orbiting the the Earth. <laughs> well, we won't talk about it, but um, but I think, but, but yeah, just to that point, mm. you know, you talk about me being on a satellite. In twenty years' time, there are going to be thousands of people that are going mm. to travel in space. So traveling in space in 20 years' time is not going to be uh, an unusual experience. It's not going to be for the one or two very special astronauts that we've got. It's going to become ubiquitous. So I think that maybe I will be, but I will be standing there with thousands of other people that will be going into space as well. Amazing. Wow. Now, I tell you, this is so inspiring talking to you, Brad, honestly. It's only a pleasure. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, when you come again to Vienna, please let me know. I will. I certainly and, will. And, uh, yeah, and uh, we can we can grab a coffee and, and meet in person one day. Fantastic. I, I look forward to it. I, I'd love to. I love Austria. Um, yeah. And um, uh, I really enjoyed my last stay there. Um, mm. So, yeah, it, it, won't, it won't take me... Uh, too long to find an excuse to come back to Austria. 
Yeah. Oh, that's great. But has before you go, has it, has it started to get cold there yet? It's it's quite cold now at the moment. Yeah, a bit grey and cold. But before I go, I have one last question for you. That's I want it. to know where do you go for coffee, or where? What is your favourite restaurant in Cape Town? So, you know what we we actually do not have a favorite restaurant. We, my wife and I are inveterate adventurers in all sorts of things. Oh, um, so okay. my wife, she starts thinking about dinner, you know, before we've had breakfast on that day, you know, so she's oh, okay. a definite foodie. Um, <laughs> yeah. so we've been to some very interesting places. So we've explored a lot of uh, restaurants in Cape Town, uh, fusion restaurants, Japanese restaurants, and so on. Um, uh, there's a great seafood restaurant, which is of kind of world-renowned in, in Durbanville, actually, called Saltwater yeah. Grill. And I love seafood, so that would be yeah. where I'd go. Um, but if you want, if you want um, something very good at a very reasonable price, um, we go to a place called Hassar Grill. Uh, yeah. Hassar Grill. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, um, a franchise. But the quality of the food is absolutely fantastic. So when we when we add a loss as to where to go to, uh, Hassar Grill is the place we go to. And where are they based? There's one, there's two in, in Durbanville. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's two in Durbanville. I don't oh, know okay. where they and, and coffee, are you a coffee drinker? So unfortunately, um, I used to be a big coffee drinker and I used to love uh, coffees. In fact, my wife and I went to Vietnam and we brought back um, uh, what they call Vietnamese coffee, which yeah. is coffee that they make with condensed milk. And it's absolutely fantastic. And unfortunately now, I have to be quite disciplined with my diet. So I've got to, oh, I've got to, stay, I've got to stay right off sugar and I've got to stay yeah. right off caffeine, unfortunately. So oh, okay. um, I have rooibos tea. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Rooibos <laughs> tea with almond milk and honey is what I have at the moment. Amazing, yeah. Oh, I mean, you can't beat Rebusti. That's yeah, the best. Yeah, yeah. Brad, uh, but have a lovely afternoon. Thank you so much for your time and this amazing uh, story. And um, and as I said, I hope to meet you one day in Vienna or maybe in yeah. South Africa. I'm sure you will. 